Bahare Khorodust is an Iranian-American artist. She is also my mother. In part one of our conversation, we talked about why the current uprising in Iran brings hope for the future, and why beauty itself is the Islamic regime's target. The present-day revolution is led by the chant, Woman, Life, Freedom, or Zan Zendegi Azadi. During part two, we consider what these words evoke in a socio-political context in Iran and here in the U.S., and what womanhood, liberty, and life mean at their core. We are reminded that Cyrus the Great of Persia declared the first charter of human rights, which inspired Thomas Jefferson in the early days of the United States founding. We explore the power of the pen, the voice, and art as a whole when they fly in the face of the censoriousness of the Islamic regime, which is technically leftist. As Bahare navigates not wanting a morality police while desiring a moral framework, I ask her, does society need moral guidance? Or is it enough for a society to flourish if every individual is responsible for their own moral compass? My mom also shares more of her experience of leaving Iran in 1979 and what it was like to study at an American university during the hostage crisis. As a clay artist, painter, and poet, she believes the beat of the world is in the hands of the artists. I ask her, when faced with human rights violations and a desire to speak up, do you think art can still remain non-political? Bahare also answers the question that sparked this series. What motivates someone to be brave in a time when it's quite controversial to step out as an individual? With part two of our conversation, I'm Sienna May Heath, and this is Leaving the Left for Liberty. I love that you brought up the, the pro-life argument because I, I've been thinking about the words woman, life, freedom in the U.S. in a socio-political context, um, because the woman, the the words woman, life, freedom, I think evoke a much different energy <laughs> among Americans than they do among Iranians. And of course, that is also an English translation of the words in itself. So I'm curious, maybe if you'd like to talk more about how those three words um, might like evoke a, a different a different movement in Iran versus um, what they evoke in the United States. I mean, woman being an adult human female, life ultimately does evoke the pro-life debate um, and freedom has become at times politicized, um, liberty as well. Although these are just concepts and forms of existence. And so what, what maybe you'd like to go through like, what is a woman? What is life? What is freedom? As an Iranian-American, how would you define those terms? For me, I can't tell how millions of people in Iran feel because I haven't been there most of my life. For me, life is... Uh, suppose I couldn't have children or I didn't want to have any, any child life still exists is about life and when we talk about life a tree nature sky all the poets poets writers all over the world they have been inspired 
by the same environment. They have looked at the same sky. Half of our Persian poetry is about the moon and the sun and the stars. It's about the tree, it's about the leaf. The poet's statuses, when you look at the leaf, is the essence of creation. And, 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 a, and a mystic sees the whole creation in a leaf. It's all one. It's about that oneness. To me, when I say Zan Zendegi Azadi, has also another section that in some of the rallies I've heard people saying, Mard Mihan Abadi, which means man, men, Mihan, country, Abadi, building it, rebuilding, building it, beautifying it. So it's about living a full life. To me, it's about being a full life. Zan, of course, a human being as a female is a full human being that has, as a child, I don't have this right as a little boy. I have the same right. And my parents, they raised their children that I never felt I have this right, have this right to education. Actually, all three daughters in the family, we all became you know, educated. My oldest sister was a PhD in, 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 in business and, and is accounting, you know, so was a professor in, in Arizona and in Nevada. So we all became, we had the same opportunity. Now, some of us, maybe we got more education, less education, but we all had the same opportunity. And as far as we live, we learn. Mamonjun, your grandma used to say, it's great you went to school, you got a degree, or you go to another school, get another degree, get a good job, take care of yourself, all of that. But she would say, remember this, in the school of life, nobody graduates. We always learn. So Zendegi is life in a, in a bigger scheme of things, the whole life. The ocean, the sky, the nature, the family, the family, who is your family? People, they say blood related. Who is not related to you through blood? We are all one. We like it or not, we are one. We are all related. So because of all of that, for me, when I say Zendegi, almost like it has very little to do with pregnancy has very little to do with it, is respecting the sacredness everywhere, in everything, all around us. For me, is that. And azadi is also that freedom. And of course, freedom for me, if you remember when you were a young person, I remember telling you in our side yard standing there, I would say, you want more freedom. Freedom comes with responsibility, with individual responsibility. The more, the more responsible one becomes, the more freedom that person gains. It's not something given. Like people, they say, the United States of government gave you right to vote. Excuse me. You stole my right. Now you say, I gave you right. 
has always been my right. So I think a woman has the right to choose. It depends how we choose. But I don't think it's up to a few men or few other people to tell me what I have to do with my own body. But at the same time, I say, if you really understand the sacredness of life, then you make your decisions based on that. But I can judge others. I never judge other people. I didn't live their lives. I can judge it. And I choose not to judge it. But again, and then married men, like Iranian men or Middle Eastern men, sometimes they create this ugly uh, character of them as if they're all one thing. They, they were never one thing. I lived there for 32 years. And they can never become one thing. The same in this country. If you just, you want to understand things, look just around you. Everywhere is the same. There are all kinds of people everywhere. Majority of people, they want to live a decent life and they want to have a better life for their children. They want to create a better life for their children. And I listened to this interview yesterday with the Prince, Reza Pahlavi, son, and it was beautiful. It was really wonderful. And, you know, basically, like, our time is up. We have to help our children and grandchildren now, their future. We have to help them to build their future. And who are we to say you don't have the right to decide what you want for your future? They want a better life, and they deserve it. Yeah. Um, and when you say freedom comes with responsibility, I'm curious, um, what is the responsibility of Iranians and also of Americans to um, to fight for their freedoms or maybe advocate for their freedoms? Because I don't I know you don't like the word fight. <laughs> um, I mean, I think in the case of Iranians, they are taking their freedoms back or of course, their freedoms are inherent, just like any other human being. Um, but in in the the context of the uprising, they are they're saying enough is enough. We're we're taking it back. <laughs> and in the case of Americans, it's more so um, we're more so in the mindset of protecting our freedoms. Regardless, though, I mean, what what are your thoughts on um, the individual's responsibility to protect and advocate for their freedoms? Every situation is different. It's like in Taoism, you know, you may have the same question, but every situation is different. So it's very difficult to say what they should do under certain circumstances. But I think the main thing is, one is being awakened. One is knowing. There are some people, they say, well, maybe I just don't have as much rights, or maybe this. No, there's no maybe. You have just as much rights as anybody else. If you want to be a artisan, you want to be good to humanity, you are part of it. You are not separated from it. So we are all part of the same thing. We are made from the same thing. Uh, so when, when I think that way, you know, because of the way, like I, it's just my mindset, the way like I think, I don't know. The main thing is 
knowing for one, you have to know what freedom means and you have to know what your rights are. If you don't know your rights, you can create anarchy. Well, you have to know the rights. You have to know the sacredness of life. You have to have some moral compass. And then based on that has to be some laws. I believe in some laws, but laws has to be for the good of humanity and for the good of all, for the good of all has to be reasonable. You can make rules and laws that discriminate and say, our society allows that. No, no society, no civilized society should even allow that. Even if I'm stupid and I say, okay, I, I don't have this right. You shouldn't allow that to happen because you have to raise your children because when they are born, they know, they already know it in their DNA. Then the society, takes it away from them. Sometimes the education system, instead of educating us, <laughs> sometimes we have to de-educate ourselves a little in order to see. I always say, everything in life happens, it depends what lens you're looking through. I always have crystal with me. <laughs> and I say, if you look through a different lens, your whole world changes. And you can, you may find beauty in the most horrible situation, which beauty, a young woman is killed. Millions, they come. They say, we are, we are with that. We are with that light. They are running towards Massa's light. They say, we are with that light. We are not with you. We are with the light. And I think the more people they stand up, hopefully in a dignified manner, but the more people stand up to say, we know our rights, we are awakened, we are awakened. Aggression is wrong. There's something is just wrong. Brutality is wrong. Force is wrong. If you created a beautiful spread of food, people come. If you have a beautiful environment with the aroma of roses and flowers, in Baha'i faith, what does Abdul Baha says? Like we are the flowers of one garden. The garden is one. We are just different flowers, different colors, different shapes, different aromas. We are flowers of that garden. Or Baha'u'llah says something, Ey ahl olam, basically, is, is one, and then he continues saying that basically you, you are the, you're from the same trunk and the branches of the same tree. Once we understand it deep inside of us, then there's, there's no sides anymore. And if you create beauty and a safe haven, then anybody understand that and wants it can come and come. And I Iran is so diverse. I think sometimes people forget or just don't know how even just uh, religiously diverse and the spectrum of belief is so wide from Muslims to Christians to Baha'is to Jews, Zoroastrians, and those who consider themselves agnostic or atheist. 
they all exist in Iran, like the flowers of one garden, different flowers, the same garden, nonetheless. Um, and I, I'm curious, what do you think that um, embracing that diversity of belief could do for the people of Iran moving forward? Well, the, the unity, because our focus, when your focus is not what is in my benefit, when your focus is the, the people in Iran, even 2009 and before, one of the slogans says, Mimirin, Mimirin, Iran of Pasmigiri. I give my life to take my country back. We give our life for it. And our poets, one of the reasons the government, especially over there, they're afraid of poets, because poets, <laughs> they wake up people. They, I, I say, I don't know if it's from me or is the saying, I'm not sure, but I grew up in my head, at least I know it, that the, uh, the beat of the society is in the hands of the artists. The poets wake you up. They make you think, they make you go deeper within you. And they're so afraid of the world and wake up people. And you know what? It never goes away. This poet, very old man, I saw this short video. In the poem, he says, I'm not afraid of the illness that had befallen on my body. This is one body. I'm afraid of the cancer that had taken over my Iran society. And of course, we as Baha'is, we grew up to love the world as one country. But the world is not one country until every country and their, their uh, sovereignty is respected. So you can't discriminate against a group of people or, or your whole country and say that's okay. That's never okay. But we have lots of contemporary poets in Iran. And then Gervin that wrote that song that became like a new anthem, Baroye. Can I play it or do you want to play it? Well, uh, we will play it. At, yeah. we'll, we'll put the video at the beginning, <laughs> I promise. Um, and then yeah. it's also in English because it's yeah. a good translation in English of it that few people sang. Yeah. And I, another thing that I really love about Iranian culture is mis the mysticism of it and especially uh, mystical Islam. The Sufism is a form of Islam. And I, I think it's really aligned with what you've raised me on, on the tenets of poetry and the spirit of poetry and seeing things through that lens, through that crystal, <laughs> and also and also through faith. Um, and I, as I was listening to you talk, and I listen to you talk privately all the time, um, <laughs> I, I hear you navigate this duality or this, this like spectrum between... Um, obviously not wanting a morality police because we see how the terrors of that and also um, desiring a moral framework 
And I, I wonder how you navigate those desires, not wanting a morality police, but also wanting a moral framework, perhaps wanting moral guidance to some extent for a society. Like, to what extent do you think um, it might just be enough for the individual to be responsible for his or her own moral compass? Well, you know, if you really think about it, throughout history, some things had never changed. Like, when somebody is kind and is genuinely loving, you feel it. When someone is honest, truth, truth. Gandhi said somewhere, truth is God. You know, there's something that is universal. It's the universalities of the ideas that is universal. I cannot come tell somebody else what does modesty should mean for you or what does goodness should mean for you. But you can't even know it. We know it inside of us because it's something you don't want to happen to you, so don't do it to others. This is from religion, okay? Don't do it to others. So we can't even know it within our soul, within ourselves. We know that. And I think sometimes the society, when it divides, like there are many Muslims today, they say that. They say, when I was a child, the society scared me of certain segment of the society. Like they said, don't associate with Baha'is, they're infidels. They, they usually put a label on it. And then later on, these people grow up and they meet these people and say, why was, it, why was I scared of them? There's nothing to be afraid of. So I think sometimes it's the fear that, that stops us from moving forward in life. I believe that, that immoralities, and I believe it, but not a religious way, not that way. It's, it's, if it's in a religion, it cannot be just contained in one religion. It's like Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is everywhere. If you're finding, if you're looking for it inside of a certain denomination of church, then you're missing the point because it's everywhere. So to me, goodness, beauty, like a Mother Teresa embodied humanity and goodness. He held a child when it's in the middle of pandemic, the pandemic, the AIDS situation. She's holding this child she doesn't think, well, do I have gloves on? Do I have mask on? She lived a long, wonderful life helping others. You kind of know. It's a knowing. It's not something that somebody brings you a um, Ten Commandments. It's not a commandment like that. It's, it's more knowing. And I think the more people they rise, the more people they know, then we learn to look at each other with a pure heart, you know, with a pure eyes. Things shift like that. We can see beyond our four fingers. And I don't know how to fix anything. I don't sometimes, I don't even know how to fix me. I'm not trying to fix everything. But I think within me, when I, when I go deeper inside of me, sometimes I say, you do better. You could have done better. 
And of course, you can't be perfect because you're human. You're perfectly imperfect. But try to do better tomorrow. Try to do that. Yeah, and that goes back to Maman June's approach to help the individual reconnect with themselves and be better just on an individual basis, on one-on-one rather than a top-down approach um, often asserted by government. And in the case of Iran, by a theocratic government. That's the problem. That is the problem. I mean, do you think that religion or faith could be the key to freedom in some ways, or is it inevitably just a key to theocracy? I I think think the problem is not really with any religion per se. To me, it's with the narrow interpretation of it. I think if you understand commonality of it, then can be with religion or without religion. To me, it's not so much religion, but it has to, you have to be able to bring the mind and the heart together. And you have to, to be able to have, you have to take yourself and others towards the light. And to me, a mystic, is the one who can be in the dark and see the light, you know, is being the awareness that there's always light, there's always something better, and there's always a better way of being. Again, none of us can be perfect. Perfection is unachievable, but it's possible to get closer to it. And it's not in the appearance. It had nothing to do with the facade. You know, when they say like, this building is sacred. Tell me where it's not sacred. Every land you walk on is sacred. Every place you are there is sacred. The Persian poets, some of the poetry is unbelievable. Like, be careful, you may step on the eye of a lover. You don't know where you're walking. It's the beauty of it is in that all of a sudden thinking deeper. Thinking deeper. Omar Kayyam passes by a potter's shop. There's poetry. About what? About a pitcher with the handle. So look at the pitcher was the hand of a lover having the arm over the shoulder of the lover. To me, I live, I live, I live with that lens. I see the whole world through that lens. And is is why, you know, within this situation in Iran, sometimes I cry is a cry of joy or pride and beauty because I can see the beauty with inside of them and the girl that throw her scarf and just dance like this around just so free-spirited that's who she is whatever years she had lived 15 18 20 inside that's who she is just came out Hmm. and it's again it's not about a piece of Fabric. The fabric can be beautiful like this. This is was my mother's scarf. I remember her holding that sometimes. 
but it wasn't a scarf for cover-up, scarf for beauty, and completely a different feeling. It's through lilac, just beauty. It changes things. Why do I have to cover myself? For what purpose? What's the purpose of that? That doesn't mean I should walk naked. Of course not. But you have to understand what is it you want to teach. I always like, even in art, I want to understand the concept. I don't want steps to take. I just want to understand. Then I want to walk my way. Then I want to bring it to fruition the way I see it. And that's when I enjoy doing art. You know, is in that the meaning of it, the understanding of it, and then everything changes. Who who should tell me if I should have my hair gray or black or red or white or brown? It doesn't matter. It's my hair. You know, it's like like that. So to me, everything else is the same way. Of course, we can have. Uh, freedom without any boundaries becomes anarchy, but we can have freedom within some boundaries, but freedom within that and not discrimination. Oh, well, that's a fine line to walk. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And going back to what you said, that the, the beat of the world is in the hands of the artists, um, I think that speaks to, again, like why beauty itself is the Islamic regime's target and why poets have been um, some of the, the most targeted dissidents under that regime. And I think it's because, like, like you said, they can unify the heart and the head, the heart and the mind, and um, they can use art, they can use metaphor, they can see through a really beautiful lens while telling really hard truths, but they do it in a way that perhaps more people can pleasurably digest. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we, uh, when you go to Zoroaster and the beginning of that religion, is everything is about song and hymn. Like the country is built on song. There's a, there's a song that, when Gugush, the most, one of the uh, famous Iranian singers, that she was a, she was on the stage since she was a very young child, and when she came, uh, twenty years, she was held in Iran. She was not allowed to leave the country. She even went to prison. All of that, and then she had to promise that she doesn't sing in the public. And when she left Iran, it was the year 2000. The first concert she had, I believe, was in Canada. She even cried. She couldn't believe people, they still remembered her. Thousands of people, they have come just to see her. <clears throat> and one of the things like, like she tried to explain, it was the, she sang a song was called Zoroaster. And in that song, she sings it the country that was built on songs. Mm -hmm. No, you're taking the songs away. 
So she had lived now in America or outside of Iran, uh, but she's in California, I believe, for 22 years. But she lived under this government for, for years. Everybody, she has her own stories. Everybody has their own stories. I left Iran in 1979. I, I traveled before that, but that was the time, you know, revolution time was different when you left. My mother, either she wanted to believe or she thought that is possible. She said, you know, you go for now, go get some education, then you come back. She said, most, you know, all of these progressive advanced governments, they're not going to accept this government. It's going to go away in a couple of years, in a year or so. Then you come back. And of course, I never saw her. I never saw my father again, you know, all of that. So, but then they came to me through visions and dreams. They never left me. They're still with me. They live through me. So that gives me some comfort. That gives me comfort. And life, and I still have a sister in Iran. They have a brother in Australia, another brother that lives in America, myself. And I lost my oldest sister and my second brother. So it's four of us. Yeah. And we know from the sister in Iran that um, her son, my cousin, just got remarried. And yeah. so people are living there living their lives I mean talk about what woman life freedom means what life means it means taking the joy underground if you need to and and bringing it up to the surface when you feel brave enough to do that that's exactly what what they did even during revolution 43 years ago during that time I went to some wedding Usually our wedding started nine o'clock at night until God knows what time in the middle of the night in the morning. Well, they had it four to nine because by 9.30 was curfew. So you had to get home, you know, but they still, people, they, life goes on. That's another saying we have uh, in, in Persian language. That's then the gimmicks life goes on and we all moved on through life. This is the third generation of Iranians in the streets of, of Iran. And it's all over Iran. It's not in one place. And this is the fifth, sixth week is still going on. So uh, hopefully it comes to fruition. Hopefully so. And as you reflect on when, when you first left Iran in 1979 and when you finally um, found your way to Athens, Georgia, here in the U.S., I'm I'm curious, um, we've talked about this some, but I'm curious what your experience was like of the hostage crisis. When I left Iran was before hostage crisis. I, I left and I ended up, uh, see, under the Shah, we had reciprocities with some countries. So Iranians, we could travel like to Europe much easier. And then um, I was in England, I was in London when things changed. Now I couldn't stay any longer and I had to stay another month before American embassy finally, they, they allowed me to come to America. 
but they asked me to stay another month. So I had to extend my staying and it was a little difficult, but I did. Um, so what was your question? I forgot. <laughs> your experience of the, your experience of the hostage crisis. Oh, so when I came to America, I came to America was in July, 1979. And I had to come through New York because there was no direct flight at that time, like from London to Atlanta, there were no direct flight. The airport in Atlanta was not the airport that it is now. So I came to New York, I stayed with a friend, Fahla, and then after a few days, I went to Athens, I went to Atlanta, then to Athens, Georgia, where university was, you know, university, uh, University of Georgia in Athens. So then hostage crisis happened since that fall. So it was very difficult, say the least was very difficult because Iranians, we were all the target. Then all the Iranian students, no matter what your religion was, no matter what your situation was, you had to go to uh, Atlanta to go to the, what is that office? Immigration office? I forgot maybe the name, but we had to go basically, we had to be cleared before you can go back to school. So I remember the gentleman that interviewed my brother and my sister-in-law and myself. When he found out we are Baha'is, he kept on saying, well, I remember that Baha California and said, I know some Baha'is, you are good people, you are not doing any harm here. So, you know, he basically cleared us and we could go back to school. But the hostage crisis was very difficult because you were on the campus. Now they're angry because in Iran, people have said, Debt to America. Again, debt to America, even at that time, although I was anti this, you know, this version of Islam as the government, but debt to America was, was tied to the history of Iran and the control, and debt to America as the administration, as the government, not debt to American, because there were lots of Americans in Iran, but then Americans, they were taken as hostage. This was under President Carter. That's another long story. Uh, because he came to Iran, he praised the Shah and you know the whole thing, everything is on YouTube. You can watch it these days. And then they decided to turn against him. And you know, Shah was ill and a year later, Shah passed in Egypt. So the, the hostage crisis was hard because they could see all Iranians like responsible. Like they would ask me things like, I'm already confused. There's already so much happening. Why did you take our people hostage? I said, I did, <laughs> I'm here. You know, everything like, or they wanted like you have answer for everything. I had no answers for anything. I didn't agree with change of the government to this government. I never thought a fanatic religious government is gonna give us more freedom, even if you didn't have it under the Shah. You think this government is gonna give it to you? But anyways, all of those things at the time. And uh, then there were like burning pictures <laughs> on the campus. 
And then I had a roommate. She was a very young woman. She said nothing against her, but she was like a very a young Southerner Baptist girl. And she kept on saying to me, she found out I'm Iranian. She said, well, I want to understand. You don't believe in God, right? And I said, why do you say that? She said, because you don't believe in our God. And I said, where is your God? And she said, like, you believe in that. What did they say? Allah, Allah? And I said, it's Arabic word for God. I believe in God. It doesn't matter what language you speak. She couldn't understand that. And she kept on saying, but in America, we are Christian. We believe in God. I said, did Jesus come from D.C., Washington, D.C.? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Jesus was from Middle East, too. All of these religions came from Middle East. So I said, I believe in all the religions. I'm a Baha'i. I believe in all the religions. But you use a word in another language. You say, Allah. I, my last name is Chodadus. Bahere Chodadus. Choda means God. So I said, God in another language now. I said, it's a word. I believe in that spirit, in divinity, in a spirit, in the great creator, as some Native Americans, they refer to it. It's something bigger than me. I believe there's something bigger than me, if that's what you're asking me. But was was a difficult time. Uh, and was a difficult time throughout 80s, especially a little better 90s. And then when uh, YouTube and all of the Instagram and all of these other things opened up, Facebook and all of that. And the doors after 9-11 in a very strange way, it seemed like the glass ceiling shattered. Then it seemed like, although it's a horrible time, but lots of Iranian things started coming back and forth. And then Iranian, they started coming and then 2009 and of course now. So things changed, kept, kept on, in some ways I had to explain less because now things, they were more out. So I had to explain less. And there were people who at one point even worked for this government. Then there were some that got killed actually, but then some they survived and then they turned against it. So it, I don't know, I guess I, I, don't, I don't think any religious group uh, should like run a, a country is like the inquisition time in Spain, all of that, the Jews suffered, other people suffered, even Christians, they didn't think like them suffered, is especially if it's a fanatic version of it. But you can't have one religion rule everybody else that doesn't adhere to the same one. So you have to have some rules that applies to all, to majority of all, <laughs> at least. That's the way I look at it. Well, for it to be fair, they have to apply to everyone. And, um, you know, hearing hearing these examples of fanaticism from the 70s onward, I, I guess maybe because I'm your daughter as well, I have... I have um, this tendency to always be on high alert for signs of fanaticism in the U.S. currently. And one, one symptom 
um, of what I think is more of a secular religion of wokeness, as we call it, just kind of playfully. We say we're awake, not woke. Um, but what one one symptom is feverishly dividing people by race. So since 9-11, rightfully so, people started to sort of wake up and maybe inspect their prejudices and be more aware of the cultures around them. Very good. And then we fast forward to um, the, the last few years um, and we've we've talked about and we've seen um, people very close to us like obsessively dividing people by race and even BLM in October of 2020 was chanting death to America. And I was like, that's our thing. That's cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to play that game. Um, I mean, when you look at that and when you look at the general landscape of our of our country, of the United States, um, what are your thoughts on these forms of fanaticism and what other signs of fanaticism are you seeing? Well, uh, in general, as I said, I'm against fanaticism and I'm against extremism of any form or shape. Because the idea, if you want to unite, you can divide the divide and the divide and say we are uniting. You can't unite like that. You have to find commonality and bring people together more as opposed to then everybody's pointing at everybody. And I'm saying, nobody is left. Nobody is left. What did you do? That, that should tell you. That's not the way to do it. Again, and other things I feel the same way. I think like in our schools, we have to teach the truth. You have to teach to the best of your ability the truth. If you're gonna hold the children against each other, then you have already missed the point. But at the same time, I think it needs to be taught like they have made uh, slavery in some schools. They have changed some of the text that it was just people, they were like misplaced. They were misplaced or mis, uh, they used another word that is like wash, washing it, like watered down. And no, we have to teach it that as humanity throughout history, Every country had done some great things, also lots of mistakes. When we understand the mistakes we have done and we have, we have, we have improved, we have progress. There's some progress here. So we can celebrate the progress and understand that there's more room for progress, but not turning people against each other, either in a, a preschool or, uh, or colleges. We don't want to turn people against each other, but we also need to teach what happened. Like a few years ago, there was a situation in London, in England. It wasn't just in London, in Great Britain. And some people, they misunderstood it. They thought they say, don't teach uh, Holocaust. That was not the case. It wasn't even a Muslim group. They were, they were Armenians, Armenians. We have, we have Iranians that have come, they were part of Iran, and some they have also immigrated to Iran. Our, there was an Armenian genocide years ago in Syria and Turkey under Ottoman Empire times. 
and there were there were Armenians because of their being Christian. They were discriminated against and, and they were killed. They're, all they were saying is, we need to teach all of it in school. We need to teach Armenian genocide. And you know what? Finally, it was recognized. And people, Christian or non-Christian, in, in Iran, in Tehran, in Jolpa, they came out in support of it. And they all said, we are with you. Because we have to focus on the subject not on the division, on the subject. Also understanding, you know, there is this gentleman, Rick Steve, Steve, I think I'm saying it right, that he travels all over the world. He went to Iran a few years ago. And one thing he tried to explain on TBS, I saw this talk he gave, was he was trying to explain to people. He said, I went to Iran and I heard that Taxi drivers said, dead to the traffic. And I was saying, <laughs> oh, dead to America, dead to traffic. He said, when they're frustrated, they say it. But they don't mean killing you. They don't say dead to you. And he said, I saw like that sign there on, on the back of a building that said dead to America. As if Iranians, they don't, Iranians, they were all nice to us. They were not against us as Americans. So it doesn't mean every Iranian, but as a norm. So it's the same thing here. Like we have to find a way to teach the history that what happened. We can be great Americans, but you want to make America great again to what period are we talking about? There were times we were not that great. So let's take those parts out of it. And the greatness, again, is Iranian, that freedom, azadi. We are born Iranians or azadeh, which means your, 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 that freedom is within you. You are a free-spirited being. In that sense, yes, America is great. America is the land of opportunity. Those are all great. But thinking that we have made it to the top, we have there's no room for improvement, we are perfect. No, this society, I see it. As a foreigner, I see it. There's nothing this over there is not over here. There's nothing over here is not over there. It's all connected, it's all one. There are beautiful people here, beautiful people there. There are ugly people right here in this country. There are ugly people there. Majority of them ignorant and arrogant. Ignorance and arrogance is very dangerous. And yet when you put it together, you create a group of people. They assume they're great. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they assume they are. And that's very dangerous. We are better. The moment in life you think you are better, you're doomed. You may know something a little more than somebody else. All the time, somebody gave me his heart one time. I always carry it. I always have it handy. I and, gave you that heart. Yes. <laughs> and, and you know, this is another thing I usually look at and I hold because it feels so wonderful in my hand. No, we are not better. It, the more your heart is full of light 
and kindness and beauty, the more you can give. You are better when you can give. It's in that giving freely with no string attached. Is this going to be returned? Am I going to be reimbursed? It's not about that. Giving is just gold. And the Persian poet says, you throw it in the river. The river goes around. Another time, it comes back to you tenfold. It comes back. It's in that trust. It's in that faith. It's in that freedom. You're so free. You're not thinking about anything. It's like a love. Love, if you put it in a box, you have missed the point. Love is always, I don't want to say free love. People get the wrong idea of what I'm saying. Love <laughs> is free. Love and peace. I live for love and peace. And I want to add this thing. If you have something to give to the world. I read somewhere that says, speak up, even if your voice shakes. And that, I read it a few, a few years back. It really affected me. And I said, how do I speak up? Sometimes the best way is not even saying a thing. Sometimes it's just looking. But sometimes your own presence makes a difference. But like say, you have a little shaker in your hand. Okay. Sometimes you can shake like this. Sometimes you can shake like that. But never be quiet when you, when you can speak up. So I believe, this is one of my dishes. I believe in peace. This is peace and soul in Persian. And I believe in love, which I guess I showed it earlier. I believe in love. This is Persian love-ish. This is, of course, just love. I keep on reminding myself, you believe in love, you believe in peace. You can find it anywhere. If you find it in the scriptures that is foreign to you, learn it from them. You can find it in poetry, Persian poetry, or poetry of Emerson and poetry of Keith, or poetry of anybody, or, or maybe a child that is in a diaper can say one word. If you pay attention, can change you. Because when you change your perspective, everything changes. Then you can see beauty in the middle of all the ugliness. You see, as Mr. Rogers said, when there's problems and difficulties, Always look for the good people come. The helpers. The helpers come. Yeah. Always remember that. So I never, I, I have lived a long, long life. I don't know if two hours interview is enough because I've lived a long life. But in that long life I lived, I've already said my age. As I was 32, I came here. I've lived here for the three years. Figure it out. <laughs> but, but basically... I know when you trust it in life, you may not have a sister here that you say, or brother here, or a parent here, or uncle here. All the people around when, when you need something, as if Rumi says something that you, how does he say it? Uh, like you attract what 
I'm not attracted. How does he say it? Uh, uh, I I forgot how how he says it. Basically, you're you're attracted what you're attracted to. And when you oh he says he says what you seek is seeking you. What you seek is seeking you, and it seeks you. I have experienced that in my life when I've come here. When I've come to this town when I didn't know anybody, and came, I just kept my heart open. That's all. Mm. And reflecting on a precious item that's come back around and greatness itself, I, I'm reminded that Cyrus the Great of Persia um, declared the first charter of human rights. And we, we know that as the, the ceramic cylinder um, that's still preserved. And it actually, as, as you've taught me, um, inspired Thomas Jefferson. And, and when, you, when you reflect on Persia's roots, Iran's roots um, of democracy and freedom and advocating for human rights, you've, you've told me that democracy is a journey, not a destination. What else comes to your mind and heart as you reflect on those roots? Again, because it goes so far back, and I think to our DNA, generation after generation, has transferred to us. It's like I'm a woman, and even if I didn't have a child, I'm still a mother within me. There's a mother inside of me, because that just is in the DNA. And I think that Charter of Human Rights, Thomas Jefferson read a lot. So that was one of the things that, that affected him, inspired him. But it's amazing that so far back, it was, it was that uh, Artemis Empire, Hachomanishion, we call them, that, you know, like the slaves were freed, the Jews were freed, the temple was rebuilt. You know, all of those things, that means we lived at the time when humans, they were more respected. And under Cyrus the Great, people, they were allowed to practice their own religion. They were not forced to be one thing. They could, they could have freedom. And that charter, that cylinder, that is the first charter of human rights to our knowledge at this point, the amazing part is we had it, we knew it. 2,500 years ago, we knew it. What happened to us? What happened here? There were lots of women that they were rulers. There were lots of women that they were the queens that they were not like a little statues. They actually had a role in the society. They were revered, our mythology has Anahita in our, our mythology. It, and, and we have all the archeological sites that you can go see it. You know, you can go see it like, um, you know, like uh, winter solstice, Yalda. It's like Mithraism, like you're staying all night for the light to come because you know, you're looking for the longest night, you know, 
and then the days are going to get longer step by step, minute by minute after that. So we have celebrated the life all this time. We knew better. We knew better. We were ruled by people that they knew better. They were the two Persians of the time. Those were the Persians. Kurdish people, they have the roots of the Persians in them, you know. And of course, the country is diverse, but we still have that in us. So what comes to my mind is we knew what is a better way. We, as the people, we shouldn't allow a way that is below that, is less than that. We should find a way higher than that, better than that, not lower than that. We shouldn't allow that to happen. And we should join hands. When humans, they join hands, we become much stronger than one. And when people, they join hands in 2009, they said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We are all in it together. Another slogan I heard that time, which I never heard anything that loud in my lifetime in Iran, they said, they told the Baha'is that Baha'i, Baha'i, Hemayatat Mikonam. Baha'i, Baha'i, I am in your support in the streets of Tehran under this democracy. Those are amazing bravery of these Iranian people that now they want from 2009, now they're in their like 30s. And now this generation had to, we can't say this is the first time they rose. Every generation, I cannot rise on my own feet. I'm rising above on somebody else's shoulders. My mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, the generation before me, the generation after me, we are all one in it together. Is that moment, all of it merges together, is, is like a, it converges. And I think when you understand that, you never also become like, oh, I am the, the first one did it. Of course, you know, there's always a history behind things. Like say one of the things in Baha'i faith, as you know, like women's lip, women's rights, this is before it happened in America. It happened in Iran. Because we had, when Baha'i faith started under Babi, the first woman that stood up for the rights of the women, she was an educated woman, but still from that time. So she was married young, she had few children, but she was a poet, very eloquent poet. She was the one at that time took her scarf off and she spoke eloquently. Men, they didn't even know what to think at that time, but she did. She gave her life for it. She was killed, but she attracted many. So if she was Tahere, the pure, how many other Taheres rose from that? These young people in Iran, the Tahereh of this time. And throughout Baha'i history, we have always revered women, we have always respected women, and we have given them the same opportunity. So Baha'i women, they don't have less rights than men. Baha'i women, 
they have just as much rights to education. And actually the son of our prophet, Abdul Baha, had talked about it because women, they are the first teachers of the children. Their education is even more important than men. So I'm, I'm proud, not proud and arrogant, but I'm glad I come from that lineage that I didn't have to fight for that. Some people, the reason I don't like the word fight because I think there's some things that need to be adjusted in every society. We need to fix what is wrong. I don't need to fight it, but I'm gonna stand up for it. It's like, it's like in America, again, in America, we are a little ahead of some other countries. We are all in it together. In America, in some states, it, like I was already born when in some states in America, women, they couldn't vote yet. Some, it was state by state. But they said, we, we give you right to vote. And that bothers me because you took my right away from me. You stole it. And now you say, I give you right to vote. Or you thought a man, even a man, if he's a dark skin, cannot fly airplane. Where do you get that idea? Our brain, your brain, because you have a white skin, your brain is not better. If I put my mind into it, I can learn it at my age to fly an airplane. If I can drive a car, I can fly an airplane if I want to. So these are all the wrong attitudes, wrong ideas that we have to, things had gotten a whole lot better, schools are a whole lot better. You know, things had changed a lot. You don't see so much separation in races and all of that, but we still have a long way to go everywhere. And I do my part. I don't know, I never thought I can change the world by myself, but I can lend a hand. And I do my best to do that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to be part of this lineage as well. And to have women like you and Tahereh the Pure, who you mentioned. Her last words were, you can kill me as soon as you like but you cannot stop the emancipation of women. <laughs> she was right. She was right. You she was. It. She was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, because right yeah. is right. Right is right. Right. Because right. she says it or not, mm -hmm. right is right. And, and as I think we've expressed, this is about women's rights. What, what's happening in Iran is about women's rights, but more broadly, it's about human rights because not even our boys are safe in the streets. This has come to come to a head where um, there's there's an incredible amount of of unity across ideological boundaries that were otherwise very very deep, uh, and that does bring me a lot of hope and. As, as I reflect on what's happening in Iran, what has happened in Iran, and I, I, consider, um, I consider what we could learn from it and what balance might be brought in the West, um, I, 
I reflect on creative freedom. So the, the censorship and jailing of artists in Iran is incredibly widespread, profoundly wrong. Um, and then meanwhile, like we, we've talked privately about um, the rather loose morals on stage in the US among some American artists, especially singers and musicians. And I mean, who am I to say, who are you to say, but because we're talking, um, what wisdom might you offer to bring balance in this case? I say the, the way I think myself, I think it's very easy to be part of the mainstream and it's very easy to look for like acceptance from others. But I think we are individual part of the whole. You have control over you and your own decisions. Don't let the society tell you what is right, what is not right. You decide what is right for you. And I think I can look it's, it's okay to me if, if you look um, elegant, it's okay if you look beautiful, it's okay if you look attractive, but you don't want to become cheap looking. You don't want to become, uh, it's like somewhere you have to stop yourself. It's in a sense, I'm not encouraging censorship. I don't believe in censorship. It's kind of like a self-censorship, like you being able to stop you from, even if you say, no, everybody else wears this, everybody else does that. I always said, I'm not everybody else. Then they told me at times, in different times, not just in Iran, in America too, then you're abnormal. Why are you so abnormal? Why don't you want to do what everybody else does? I said, maybe I'm abnormal. I even thought about it. But I said, why am I feeling so normal inside of me if I'm so abnormal? It feels normal within me. So I'm okay with it. And then again, it's not like trying to be different, like, oh, stand up to be different. No, you just say, what do you want to do? Like, you can talk to yourself, like go in front of the mirror self. What do you want to do? And be honest with you. Not say, oh, if I say that, they like me more. Hopefully, they're going to like me. If they don't, so be it. So be it. Because then it's a phony you. What they like is an image you project as opposed to who you are. So to me, like you have to decide what if, if I decide the weather gets cold, I decide to put a scarf on tonight? Now, you're going to call me other names because I decided I'm cold or I, have, I don't want to get earaches or I want to have a hat on. You know, like to me, if freedom is like you are free to dress the way you want, but you're also free to think for yourself. You should also be free to make decisions that for the good of all, if your decisions has always been something not just, oh, is it just for me in a selfish way? Of course, you should take care of yourself. If you want to help others, you have to be in a position to be able to help others. But it's about the whole. 
and looking at the whole, not sameness. Unity is not sameness. The beauty of true unity is understanding that its beauty is, again, is the flowers of one garden. It's not all one garden the same. It's a garden full of beauty. And, and you can enjoy the yellow flowers the same as the purple, as the red. And when they come together, it's the landscape. If, you can, if that can heal you, if music can heal you, if colors can heal you, then nothing can heal you. That heals you. That heals. And I say myself, like today, I say, what is it I can do for the people in the street of Tehran? Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes, honestly, 2009, when I wrote that letter, that article um, addressing President Obama, it helped me. And some people, they appreciated it. And some people didn't. Well, we have to kind of go a little slower. I said, why have we not gone slow enough for 30 years? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's the way I think. But again, I, even at this time, I'm not interested in politics because I don't think politics is going to solve, uh, is going to bring world peace. Anything changes in the world, you remember this. Anything changes in the world, people, they change it. The government didn't come on, they say, oh, we have decided to give women rights to vote. Women, they went in America, in New York City. Women, they went to jail. They had babies with them, carriages with them. Women, they paid the price in order for you having the freedom to vote today. So unfortunately, because they, it's, not, um, it's not fair enough to begin with, then we have to stand up to say no to it, or, or in an in a eloquent way, in a gentle way, in a better way to change it. But what needs to be changed needs to be changed. And truth is bigger. My husband is not the only decision maker in this house. They said, when I took you to school first time for kindergarten to sign you up, the secretary gave me a form, gave us a form. And then she pointed at it because she thought I don't understand English well. I did. I already had a degree when I came to America. But she said, no, I was putting my name. She said, no, this is for the head of the family. I said, I'm a head. <laughs> I am a head. And she said, no, you have to put one name. I said, why? This family has two heads. You put two names. This family has two heads. Because they never thought about it. Then they told me, now Persian language, the one good thing in Persian language doesn't have pronouns he, she, has one word, ooh, which, which addresses both gender, he, he or she is still ooh. 
all the papers they sent home. He, 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 he. When I bring it up, they say, well, when we say he, we mean she too. I said, say it. Say it. They said, we, these are old papers. I said, I retype it. And I said, you, you can do this. Put S slash he. Because he is in she. She is not in he. Male is in female. Female is not in male. And I said, just think about that. And you have half a population in your school, the girls. You send papers, one after another. My daughter that is in, in kindergarten saw it and, and brought it to my own attention. Again, I've already seen it. I said, I, I started a petition. Door to door, I went, I, I got signatures. I took it to school. And I said, you need to change this. Other people, they feel the same as me. You need to change that. So eventually, by the time you were in high school, things was changed. Sometimes it's like can be minor changes or appears to be minor. This is a language because at one point, only men, they were out. So they could say, he, 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 they continued. Or they said, chairman. I said, I see a woman. <laughs> said, chairwoman. <laughs> little by little change because the number went higher. And then they can't say, oh, this woman is a chairman. No, this woman is a chairwoman. Or at least call them chairperson. <laughs> you know. So sometimes it appears to be, they would tell me, but this, this must not be your, your mother, mother language, mother tongue. And I said, I'm glad it's not because I can see it better. And I said, my English is not the problem. I have accent, but my English, I know English. I'm just saying something needs to be adjusted. And I'm here to help you to adjust it. And little by little, even little things, it changes step by step. Unfortunately, change never happens overnight. If we would have wanted to try what these young people are doing in the streets of Tehran in the 90s, wouldn't happen. These people were not conceived yet. They had, they had to take its course until it gets to this point. Now I don't have to tell anybody that Iranian women are brave, are strong, are courageous. I don't have to tell anybody. I just say, I wish if I had their courage, I wish if you had their courage. But in America, women, they have also stood up for their rights. And, you know, you can, everything, the good thing is today, everything is online. You can go find YouTube videos on it. Women, they had long skirts at that time, long sleeve, long skirts in the streets of New York, upstate New York. In the, then little by little goes spread. That's how it happened. And when they read men, some they think literalists, they say just men. A literalist reads the Bible as a literalist, understands it very differently as an educated person, or as a mystic, the mystic says, what does it really mean? And the educated says, maybe it has more than one meaning. 
And a mystic says, it doesn't even matter what is really right as right is right. Let's do it right. Yeah. And you've modeled for me over the years, the power of the pen, you know, as you describe yeah. the power of the voice and the power of art um, as a whole. And you've expressed a desire in your own way. I think you've expressed a desire to depoliticize art and just make it about human rights. And even beyond that, just about beauty itself. And when when faced with human rights violations and a desire to speak up, do you think art can still remain non-political? It's a, it's a very hard question to answer because your your whole just your your sole existence speaks. Speaks. Me just sitting here, even if I don't say anything, there are some expressions maybe in my face can say things if if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm agreeing, if I'm disagreeing. I think you can divide it, say non-political. My approach to it is not political. But if you're breaking the if if it's against human rights then I get involved. You may say, then you're political. You can say whatever. My approach to it is because it's human rights and you have no right to discriminate against half a population and say it's okay. No, it's not okay. It cannot be okay. Had never been okay. Had never should have been okay. You know, so it's all of those things. And, uh, you know, I made a coal pot just two days ago. It's not fired yet. But uh, most of my tall pots that I make them as coal pots, usually in the bottom inside says something. I know what's in it. Most people, they don't even know if I, unless if I make it like this one, because has one hole here, one hole here. So it's a, like a... So you can kind of play it, but inside of it, you can see it. Inside of it, there's partisan. This one, I call it joy. This is like a, like a little drum or can, can be a double vase for flowers or just this as is. So somebody that knows how to play probably can play this. I made another one inside of it. There's no room. Persian New Year, new day, the first day of spring, new day. I made that in honor of Iranian, young Iranians in Iran. And I named it Azadi. When I made that, as I was making it, I said, I'm the only one who knows what it says inside of that. When this came out of the kiln, I took a picture. It took the picture from what is inside of it. It's like inside of a well, that that Azadi has always been alive. It's coming up through the sound, it's coming out. Uh, coming out. When it's fired, I show you. So I'm making things like that in honor 
of freedom and these young people in Iran and old people. There are many, not only the young men they joined, parents, grandparents are out. So this is not a movement can be stopped because it's in the heart of the people. You can't stop the heart beating. It's going to be. So that's, that's where I am in relation with, with it. You know, I think, I think some things in life, change is inevitable. Change will happen. It may be delayed. It may be, it cannot be stopped. It can have traction. It can be a blizzard. It can be roadblock. Eventually, it goes away. Eventually, it has, has to happen. And, and it's going to happen. But change sometimes happens gradually. Maybe another generation that in 2009, they were toddlers. They were not in the street. Now they're in the street and they've given their lives. So I feel I have a responsibility, at least do something, the best of my ability to make a little difference. Sometimes I light a candle every night and I think about it. And I just, the power of poetry, the power of prayer, because thoughts are real. They're more real than this table sitting here, this computer here, are real. And thoughts can travel. Emotions can travel. Money can help. <laughs> but when you light a candle in honor of their life, and you send them your energy, and everything else that everybody else is doing, you know, lots of people that are doing a whole lot of what I can do. So we all have to do what we can do, our part. And I, I think sometimes, you know, like people, they say, I wonder what would Jesus do? I say, <laughs> I, I'm not so sure, but I know he wouldn't go to war. He might flip a table, though. <laughs> he may flip the table. But, you know, some things is like, like you have to tell yourself, is there a better way? But when when the more people are awakened, the more things can rise. It's gonna rise because it, you you can't kill it. How can you kill spirit? I should. I don't know how 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 at my age I'm still. They can shut me up because I believe in something that is stronger than me. It's like, if it's just as strong as you, it's nothing. Has to be something like these people, what, like you used to ask this question sometimes, what makes someone brave? Something bigger than themselves. Something is so important that they can't just shove it under the rug. It's important because if they don't stand up, their children fall. And when I was younger, I always stood up, uh, 
sometimes, you know, fairness was always very important to me. So if I would see unfairness, as shy as and awkward as I was as a child, I would still do something, speak up. I was a little more quieter when it was just me so against me or something somebody said to me until I realized, oh, I'm part of the whole. I need also to speak up, you know, but it depends how you speak up, how you go about things. And every situation requires something different. Like if somebody attacks you, I can't say, well, let's just say a prayer now. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, the lioness comes full force, you know? So it, it depends on what every situation is. But I believe change is going to happen. Change is inevitable. And over time, as more and more people, they become more and more awakened and they, they are in the light, they are not going to go back in the dark. They're already in the light. You know, and the same things had happened like in Europe. You know, you can't go back to Middle Ages, say, no, let's go back there. And, and what happened to Iran was very unfortunate, but hopefully it's going to change for the better. Yes, and the light is actually coming in as you're as you're talking about it, it's coming in on the side. <laughs> That's beautiful. And you've told me time and time again to be defiant. Yeah. And one way of being defiant is to be happy when they don't want you to be, when they want you to suffer. Um, and I also, I thank you for answering my question because when I started the series, as you know, I asked the question, what motivates an individual to step out and be brave? Um, and I guess you've answered it because ultimately what motivates a person is something bigger than themselves. And I might add also being pushed to your limits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't push me because I can be a very nice person, but every person has another side. And it can come out and you, you're not going to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're pushed to the limit, because nobody should be pushed to the limit. And I think these individuals, these children in Iran, is like we are pushed to the limit. And these high children, high schoolers, I think, or maybe junior high or high school, when the way they push this, um, I think it was more like a principal or somebody with, with a big title out of the door. They pushed him out the door. They just went after him. He looked back and said, really? They said, yeah, you're going to be out. And you know, it happens because once people, and they didn't hit him, they didn't touch him. They just said out and they had him out. So there are many different ways to do things. But if you live in a society, any society here too, if you live in a society that like say, say, call the police, which one of the police are you asking me to call in Iran? The one puts me in jail, the one that takes me to detention center and beats me, which one am I supposed to call? And so there are things like that, that sometimes like, you know, in the society, we have to change the society to the point that every segment of the society functions right. 
then yeah, in that society, you can say your child is. And, you know, because, you know, so many things had happened in our own family in Iran. And then my own family, we used to go every Friday, which was like Sunday here. Everybody would come to my parents' house. And, you know, we had like a family reunion, but once a week, <laughs> you know. So, but then things, things and we traveled. My family, most of us, we traveled. We went abroad. We came to America, to England, you know, to Paris. Then you came back home. All of a sudden, when this happened, it's like, we haven't had a family reunion for 43 years. It's like, it's just so hard to wrap your mind around it. It's like, they, what, you know, we are still family. That part didn't change, but, you know, like, I remember when revolution happened and it took place, I felt very disoriented. And when I even came to America, when I was in college, I had a very hard time to focus because I lost, I was disoriented. I, it, it takes time to be able to sit down and really process what happened because it appears to be that happened overnight, didn't happen overnight. There were enough unhappy people with that regime. They all decided to get together. The worst one won. <laughs> That's what happened, <laughs> the worst one born. But hopefully change is happening, it's gonna come. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful too. Thank you, mom. Thank you so much, Sienna love you. I love you too. Bye. Oh, I wanna do one thing, one thing, if I may. If you play Baraye, I do that, okay? okay. I just wanna say, in honor of Iranian people and in solidarity with Iranian people, I want to say Zan Zendegi Azadi, as the Kurdish people say, Zen Jian Azadi, or woman, life, freedom. I'm going to cut my hair in, in solidarity with Iranian people. Mm. Azadi for Iran. <laughs>